Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So, I was reading an article um, a couple days ago entitled, How to Become Irreplaceable at Work, or How to Be So Good the boss would be crazy to let you go. Now, having said that, I realize there are some bosses that are crazy. But rule number one was this, exceed expectations. Find out what each task requires and then crush it. Number two, show initiative. Volunteer for additional assignments. Fill in for those who are absent and dive into those things that give you maximum exposure. Number three, be present. And that means not just show up for work, but for example, if you're in a meeting, don't be checking your text messages, right? Pay attention to who's speaking. Number four, be a problem solver. You know, there are too many people at work that can point out what's wrong. You be the one to fix it and banish the word but from your vocabulary. If somebody comes up with an idea, don't say, yeah, but, it makes you look negative. Number five, be good at many things. Or be extraordinarily good at one thing. That reminds me of an article I read years ago, How to Become a Millionaire. Step number one was get a million dollars. <laughs> okay. Number six, have a good attitude. Don't complain, don't gossip, and smile a lot. Number seven, know who the experts are. That is to say, if you don't know the answer to something, know where to go to find the answer. Okay, now, all of that is great advice. But as I hear it, I feel a bit guilty. Do you? I mean, I don't consistently do these things. I don't see myself as irreplaceable. I don't think many others do either. Now, I'm speaking of the workplace. When it comes to home, it's very different. When it comes to life at home, you are irreplaceable. I wouldn't argue that. But out in the world, people other than your mother are evaluating you and your performance, and sometimes not very fairly. There's always someone around who can do your job better, faster, and cheaper than you. Out in the world, few if any of us can be replaceable or irreplaceable. But what you and I cannot be Jesus declares us to be. Jesus makes us irreplaceable in the world. And I stress the word us. Your sermon outline, page 11 in your worship bulletin, please take a look at it. Roman numeral one, Jesus says this. He says, you, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Point A, you is plural. It means you all. You together, you collectively, uh, the Christian community 
is the salt. Now, what does that mean? If you depart from the community, if you abandon the community, I don't know that you're salt anymore, okay? Maybe for a while you are, but after a while, it doesn't look good. So you all are salt. And letter B, you is emphatic. It is emphasized. Now, in, in English, our sentence structure is subject, verb, object. You generally know what the subject is because it falls first in the sentence. In, in the Greek language, it's very different. The words are all scattered around. Uh, the subject can be at the end of the sentence. It can be in the middle of the sentence. But here it's at the very beginning, you, and that, that lays stress upon it. It's, it's emphatic. So Jesus is, is, is saying this. It's not the Jerusalem temple that's the salt of the earth. It's not the Holy Scriptures that are the salt of the earth. It's not the Sadducees. It's not the Jewish priesthood that is the salt. It's you. It's you. Together, you and I are what the world cannot live without. Roman numeral two. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Verses 13 and 14 are declarations. They're statements of fact. They're not commands. Jesus is not saying you all ought to be the salt of the earth, or you should be the salt, or you could be the salt of the earth, or you must strive to become the salt of the earth. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you are the salt of the earth. So as we sang in the hymn, thy strong word bespeaks us righteous. That's how God does things. He calls it what it is, you see. He bespeaks you salt and light. Therefore, you are. Letter B. Jesus speaks not of possibility, but of reality. He speaks of reality. These you are's, you are salt, you are light, they are absolution. They are forgiveness, you see. It's the same as Jesus saying, you are forgiven. And you are because of Christ. It's the same as Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches, you see. Remain in me, you'll be fruitful. And let her see, this is a paraphrase from Luther, and just ponder this. We love whatever pleases us. God's love creates that which is pleasing to it. You see, mankind's love comes into being only when we find something or discover something pleasing to us. God's love is very different. God's love flows outward on its own and it bestows what is good. It bestows what is pleasing. God's love flows toward what is not good and pleasing, and God declares it to be good. He declares it to be pleasing to him. That's a very different kind of love than ours. But that's the love we've been given. That's the love we've received. That's the love that flows from the cross. It sees what is not good and what is not pleasing, and it flows that direction, and it declares it to be good for the sake of Christ. 
Roman numeral three. You are the salt of the earth. The salt. We're not just one kind of salt among others. It's not that like you've got Hindu salt over here, and you've got Muslim salt over there, and then here's, here's the Christian salt. No, you are the salt of the earth. Letter A, that means Jesus has a very high view of the church, the community of faith. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus spoke these words in the Sermon on the Mount, he only had an audience of 12 men. That microscopic group, in comparison to the world, would salt the earth. It would enlighten all who were in darkness. That small group is elevated in the eyes of Jesus. He calls it what it is, you see. So letter B, we are of such use to the world that we collectively now, we collectively are irreplaceable. We're irreplaceable. Jesus said, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it? And I take it to be it refers to the world. You could say it, it refers to the salt. But the salt is there for the sake of the world, you see. So ultimately, it ends up at the world. How will the world be salted apart from us? You see, only through us will the world know Jesus. Only through us will the world know of forgiveness that is free and without price. Only through us will the world know the good news of its own forgiveness. Only through us the world will escape the coming judgment and inherit the resurrection, the life eternal. Only through us. Roman numeral four, you are the salt of the earth. Salt improves things. When it comes to food, it improves flavor, it improves texture, it improves color. Now we know this from history. Church has been around for 2,000 years and even longer if you go back to Abraham. You know this. The church has elevated the status of women. No other institution has done that as the church has. You know, in the ancient world, women were little more than property of the husband. In some cases, property of the husband. But God's word declares women to be co-equal with men, bearing the image of God just like men, joint heirs of salvation just like the man. And in fact, when you look at all the Middle Eastern creation myths, and there are many, and Far Eastern creation myths about how we came into being, none of them mention the creation of woman. They mention the creation of man, but not woman. Only in the Bible do you find a description of the creation of the woman. Genesis devotes one verse to the creation of man and six verses to the creation of woman. No one else does that. Public education came about as a result of the church. Luther was the one in the Reformation who advocated for the education of every boy and every girl. That's the beginning of public mass education. He advocated for it. No one thought about that. No one cared about that prior to the Reformation. 
Higher education grew out of the church. The universities and colleges we know today grew out of the Middle Ages. The church in the Middle Ages gave birth to higher education. Modern science grew out of a Christian framework. We believe, unlike the, the Hindus, we believe in a rational God, a rational being, who behaves in rational ways. He governs the world, not just according to the moral law of the Ten Commandments, but to natural law. And you can reasonably deduce what those are, you see. That makes modern science possible. The abolition of slavery grew out of a Christian environment and no other limited government grows out of Scripture. The book of Deuteronomy, God tells the Israelites this. He says, if you have a king, meaning it's purely optional, you don't have to have a king, I'm your king, God said, but if you, if you have to have a king, he will be subject to my law just like you all are. He will not accumulate many wives. He will not accumulate a lot of horses, meaning his power will be limited. That's the idea of limited government. It grows out of Holy Scripture. The king's not absolute. He's subject to the same laws you and I are subject to. Were it not for Holy Scripture, we wouldn't have that idea. We wouldn't be governed that way today. And hospitals, they were an invention of the church. They grew out of the church in the Middle Ages. I could go on and on. But what I want you to see is that the church makes a difference in the world. It improves what it comes in contact with, you see. Letter B, it also preserves. It preserves. The gospel that we proclaim delivers from eternal death and damnation. It's that important. The gospel we proclaim heals marriages. It brings husbands and wives back together. It creates reconciliation among people who were far apart before. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as you respect the Lord, you see. Jesus is behind it all. Roman number five, you are the salt of the earth. Letter A, as salt exists to penetrate food, we exist to penetrate the world. We penetrate the world. Luther wrote, salt cannot be salt for itself. It cannot salt itself, it salts the earth, you see. So it is with us. What we are, we are for those around us. We are what we are for the sake of the world, not for ourselves. We've been forgiven. The others haven't. They need us. And let her see, saltiness, being salty, is bringing Christ to others and being Christ for others at home, at work, at church, in the community, and so on. My friends, if the salt loses its flavor, and Jesus describes that in verse 13, if it loses its flavor, it loses its value. Jesus has bestowed great value on us collectively. But when we refuse to speak about Jesus to others, when we silence ourselves, when we censor ourselves regarding Jesus, do you realize what we're doing? We are leaving people in their sins. We are leaving them to the judgment of God. Our Lord said, if the salt loses its flavor, 
how shall it, the world, be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now that's judgment. It's the judgment of God. We as a congregation will be handed over to the judgment of God if we lose our saltiness. You know, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the letter to the seven churches, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love, meaning, meaning me. You're into yourselves. Repent. Otherwise, I will remove your lampstand from its place. See, this is, this is not gospel now. This is law. This is not good news, it's threat. And, and Jesus speaks that way to the church collectively. I'm not saying necessarily you individually, but to the church collectively, this is what our Lord has to say. And he says it not to condemn us, but to save us from the judgment. He says it to create in us a godly sorrow that leads to repentance a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, to a change of direction, a restructuring of our ministry, if it need be. I mean, if, if we're not leading people to Jesus, if that's not the goal of what we do, why do we do it? Why? We're here for the sake of those who don't know him or are confused about him. We need to present him to those who need him most. That's why we're here. Now, that being said, talking about judgment is not going to make anyone be a witness for Jesus. You know, we don't scare people into witnessing for the Lord. It doesn't work. The law can't do that. It can't accomplish that. Only God's love can do that. Only the love of God expressed in the gospel reading for today, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what you are. That's what the Lord has elevated you to be. Only speaking that way can create a desire in your heart to be salt for someone else, to be light for someone who's in the dark or in the shade. Only words like that can create a love in our heart and importance to our mission be salt and light for others. Now, that's the love we've received. That's the love we receive here every Lord's Day. And that's the love we're called to share. Now, in your worship bulletin, on the front of the newsletter, I want you to take a look at that for just a moment. On the front, the little article, uh, Those Around You Need the Gospel, and it explains there how the world needs you. Your family needs you, your extended family, your coworkers, your neighbors. They need you. You're that important. And I want you to write down names of people that you could invite here. People who maybe they're a member somewhere, but they haven't gone to church in a coon's age, okay? And they need the Lord. And that's why we're here. 
So I, I want you to think about, take it with you. Don't, please don't lay it down on the credenza back there. See, I'll be watching you as you leave today, okay? I see what you do. I, you know, just take it with you. You can leave the bulletin there. I don't care. But take this with you and put it on your fridge. Write those names down as they come to mind. Pray for them. You know, love them enough to pray for them. Ah, I mean, I know you do. Write their names down. Invite them to come. Bring them with you. Bring them to Alpha. Bring them to worship. There's a lot of ministries here you can bring them to. Do that. You know, the world, as I said at the beginning, the world considers you to be replaceable. It considers you expendable, but not Jesus. He calls you irreplaceable. You are the salt, you are the light that the world out there cannot live without. In Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.